The Ramban has been teaching us that intimacy is quite a bit different than what we thought and how the world thinks of it. In fact, physicality is just one of the many things to consider when it comes to intimacy. Spiritually, mentally, physically preparing yourself in order to be intimate is just some of the things we've learned so far. Now, the Ramban is going to give us a secret. A secret unlike any other secret you've ever heard. The secret to having healthy kids, and even more so, an explanation of why we are the way we are. And if that's not enough, how do we become even better? Society is full of unhealthy kids. In fact, even sick kids. Kids that have a spiritual illness they call LGBTQB that murder people. This is not a coincidence. This is a reality that also exists in the Torah that warns us for such behavior. How do we make sure that we are spiritually healthy, even if we weren't born that way? How do we make sure that our eyes, our hearts, and our minds are always in the right position? Last but not least, how do we get rid of some of these desires that we know are unhealthy? Like, you care about your spouse, you love your spouse, you only want your spouse, but for some reason or another, you like when people give you attention. How do you look at that in a... Torah way. This and much more. We're going to learn from the Ramban and the rest of the sages. In order to get closer to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, In order to be holy. Watch, share, support, and be holy. We're back here on our Tuesday night. Uh, Jewish Intimacy series based on the uh, Holy Sefer by the Ramban, written about 750 years ago. And this uh, Jewish Intimacy series, Baruch Hashem, has uh, certainly changed quite a few marriages, quite a few lives, uh, quite a few perspectives. And uh, tonight we're going to continue on, uh, on that and uh, go to the next aspect of uh, Jewish Intimacy and how to produce healthy children and also why we are the way we are. Uh, tonight's shoe will be for the uh, Ilui Nishmat of Avraham ben Dina uh, and also for the Refuah Shlema of uh, Rav Ephraim ben Shulamit, Rabbanit Sarah bat Anat, Rabbanit Levana bat Sarah, <coughs> Avi Mori David ben Asriya, Imi Morati Doris bat Jora. And also for the Atzlacha Rabbah for all of Am Yisrael, all of the righteous Noah Hides, Baruch Hashem, and uh, also as a uh, very... Uh, Big uh, Mazal Tov for uh, Marsha Bat uh, Julie for uh, Baruch Hashem winning the uh, court case after a uh, long two-year battle. A lot of prayers, a lot of uh, good deeds done in the process uh, to finally get her, uh, her uh, dear Ayla back, her dear uh, daughter back. And Bezod Hashem, she'll uh, raise her and the rest of her kids with Nachat, with, a, uh, with Torah, with Mitzvot, after the uh, evil uh, father... Uh, kidnapped the kid uh, while the, she was still uh, she was still uh, literally an infant. So Baruch Hashem, for anyone that's been watching my lectures for the last uh, few years at least, uh, knows how much we've prayed and uh, done, uh, and we're very happy to hear the uh, good news. We're just simply waiting for the uh, for the baby to show back show show up to to come home. Uh, so this has been a uh, case for any of you that's been following. Baruch Hashem, we have some good news. Uh, so also. Uh, aside from that, to remind everybody, we have, uh, you know, about a week uh, or exactly a week before Pesach begins, there's uh, 
a shiur that I did last year uh, discussing all of the different laws regarding to Pesach uh, that uh, you need to know in order to prepare, in order to uh, celebrate the holiday uh, properly. Uh, there's no real, real need for us to go over it again since nothing really has changed. Uh, but uh, anyone that has specific questions that are not covered in that shiur, that are more pertaining to your life, uh, feel more than uh, free to, uh, to send us the questions on uh, WhatsApp, as uh, that's usually the fastest way to get a response. Uh, also, for those of you that are sending me messages uh, and are not getting responses, don't take anything offensively. It's just uh, it's impossible for me to catch up with all the messages, the emails, uh, it's, uh, I'm doing the best that I can. There's literally hundreds and hundreds of messages uh, each and every single day. It's just not possible for me to uh, keep up, especially since most of the messages are not simple yes or no's. Most of the messages are, uh, you know, very complicated uh, issues that usually have to do with, uh, uh, you know, with not only Torah, but also people's lives. So they require some uh, investigation, some... Uh, uh, double-checking, so this type of stuff uh, does take time. Uh, last but not least, if some of you used to get answers and then you started seeing that you're not getting responses anymore, uh, and just pay attention to what your last questions were. If your last questions were stupid, meaning you were insulting and you were uh, simply uh, going against the Torah or just making fun and things like that, that's simply because I'm not going to answer you anymore since I don't have the time to deal with idiots. Uh, so, with that being said, uh, the last thing is uh, the um, Pesach campaign. Baruch Hashem, we helped uh, over 500 families uh, eat uh, this Pesach so far in, the, uh, in the, uh, the Torah scholars. We have a few hundred more families that uh, Baruch Hashem were helping uh, that, uh, to eat. Uh, these are orphans and, uh, and widows that simply cannot provide for themselves. Uh, we actually signed up uh, just last night another uh, woman to uh, a, a woman that's a divorcee uh, to uh, get uh, some help from us on a monthly uh, uh, basis, and uh, you know it's a there's just simply a lot of things going on, a lot of uh, help out there that we're trying to do the best that we possibly can to bring as much good to Am Israel as possible, to bring as much good to the world as possible. Uh, we need your help. Uh, anybody that hasn't donated or hasn't donated enough. Uh, and they know themselves that they could actually afford to do more, go to the uh, campaign uh, website, uh, bhpesach.org, uh, b-h-p-e-s-a-c-h.org, and uh, be generous. It's not going to uh, my pocket. I myself uh, also donated uh, to uh, the Pesach campaign, and uh, so it's, uh, it's certainly something that's necessary for all of us to, uh, to at least uh, try to do. Uh, and uh, not simply uh, ignore because, you know, there's going to be another opportunity because no one promises us tomorrow. Uh, we all need to do as many mitzvot today. So with that being said, we have, Baruch Hashem, this uh, holy geret, holy letter by the Ramban, which uh, over these, uh, you know, last couple of shiurim has really taken a, uh, uh, the direction of intimacy for anyone that's paying attention in a very, very different uh, direction because now he's letting us know that it's not just the spiritual aspect of intimacy that is significant but it's also the physical aspect of it meaning that before we ever you know get to the actual act itself you have to make sure that the body itself is in a certain condition if you want to produce certain results 
the the location itself where it is all of these different details that many of us don't necessarily uh, pay attention to they carry significant weight uh, because they either warm up the uh, the man's body and the woman's body uh, and in essence produce a uh, a warm seed or a uh, they cool the body and uh, any uh, time that uh, we go into the details of what the sages say we know that they're not saying anything just as uh, simply a suggestion they're telling you things that will have a significant impact on your life now if you think about it if let's say for example somebody uh, you know that has let's say a uh, problem child someone that has a uh, child that is uh, you know just uh, you know problematic in different ways whether it's literally you know actual health issues mental issues uh, or it's a uh, simply behavioral issues uh, like many kids uh, uh, appear to have in this generation and somebody would have told you listen you could have actually uh, lowered the risk of having such a thing uh, uh, to deal with uh, had you changed the location of the bed had you not uh, you know uh, been intimate right after eating had you eaten different food if somebody would have told you such a thing that this would relieve you of this huge problem that you have to deal with you love your kids so you obviously have to deal with it but now you have to deal with this issue for pretty much you know the rest of your life if you could have resolved this issue obviously you would pay any amount of money to go back so this is in essence one of the things that we're learning from the series that it's it, perhaps it's not going to uh, change any child that you already have uh, but number one, it can, uh, anyone that is looking to bring children into the world, this is certainly uh, could help them. Uh, so, second of all, anyone that doesn't have any kids, this is certainly uh, something that could help them actually produce kids into the world, uh, which is certainly a, a blessing uh, unlike any other blessing. But also one of the things we're going to learn is why we are the way we are meaning that there's a you know each one of us is born with certain traits each one of us is you know sometimes born with uh, perhaps the trait of being prone to anger or some of us are uh, very cold where uh, you have certain people that the the world can blow up and they're just you know smirking and you know not really saying much people are very 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 cool not necessarily because they're not concerned just that's their demeanor uh, sometimes a uh, you know a wife is not really sure if her husband is uh, you know very uh, loving or not because of his behavior because he's so cool that she's not sure whether he just told her he loves her or he's reading the newspaper she's not sure other times a person is uh, so passionate and so uh, uh, you know uh, uh, hot in, in in that aspect that it seems like every time he talks he's screaming at everybody or every time she talks she's angry but in reality that's her demeanor this has something to do with the way they were brought to this world now of course this doesn't mean that anyone that you meet that's angry or anyone that you meet is that's uh, very very cold or the other things that we're going to discuss tonight is just because of how they were brought to the world because a person can change which is really the biggest uh, 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 and most significant part of what we're going to discuss today because everyone out there is born with certain tools but everyone can change everyone can develop everyone can do things to uh, improve or ruin themselves so these are some of the things that we're going to discuss today and uh, try to get a better idea of how to produce healthy children uh, I've, uh, I've met uh, you know quite a few people that have uh, 
uh, very sick children. Unfortunately, uh, the uh, to deal with a sick child, whether it's a uh, uh, autism or it's a uh, any type of other uh, mental or behavioral issue uh, or any other type of physical issue, uh, where uh, they're uh, they're missing limbs or they're not able to uh, to do, uh, to function in certain ways. These are significant tests, and as a, uh, uh, at the very least, some type of, uh, um, I guess, uh, you know, insight for those parents that are dealing, especially with the most extreme cases, uh, such as autism or where the where the kids cannot uh, communicate. You should know that two things. Number one, you have a very high level neshama. You're not like regular people, so you have, let's say. You know, low lives, degenerates. You know, the 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 worst worst people in the world. You know, the Hitlers of the world that were literally brought into this world to you know provide the world with hatred and, and animosity. You have normal, regular people that can go one way or the other based on their behavior, and then you have high level neshamot. Now, these high level neshamot, these high level people that their soul is tuned differently. Their so, their soul has uh, certain weapons, certain uh, tools, certain abilities, certain strength that others simply do not have, they have much bigger tests. Tests that average people cannot handle. You know, the average person perhaps, uh, you know, can handle a uh, your average pressure out there, but there, these people can handle much, much more than the average person. You know, what, what it takes the, uh, you know, uh, the average person uh, to literally lose their mind, it could even literally be a standard everyday test that doesn't even move the high-level neshama. So I remember my dear mother, God bless her, may she live to 120, uh, she, uh, she used to always uh, you know, tell us, oh, you have a high-level neshama, the rabbi said you have a high-level neshama, and I always found this, quite frankly, I found this uh, ridiculous. Number one, uh, you know, compliments in general are something a little unusual to me. Uh, not that I'm, uh, I was unloved or anything like that. It's just I find it uh, strange. But uh, aside from that, you know, when somebody tells me something that I don't know for sure and they're just assuming, to me, it has a, uh, you know, it has a uh, element of lie in it. You know, I'd say I have like an allergy to lies. So... She used to tell us, oh, you have a high level in the Shema. I went to this, you know, Kabbalist and he told me you have a high level in the Shema. You know, we would just laugh and, you know, it's just ridiculous. But then you start learning about this stuff in the Holy Torah and you start realizing, wow, this, this high level in the Shema stuff is really a big deal. Like if somebody does have this, it explains a lot. It explains why they have these enormous tests. For example, like, the story I've told you guys multiple times about the, the Rebbe Mitzans, the, the Klosenberger Rebbe. He was one of the uh, uh, giants of the past generation that was responsible for building not only American Jewry, but even Jewry in, uh, in, uh, in Israel. He built the uh, uh, Keilat Sans in uh, Israel, in Netanya over there, uh, where his uh, son is running it today. Uh, he built uh, the uh, most extraordinary hospital in Israel, uh, I believe in, even until this day, uh, the hospital of Laniado, which is actually where I was born. Uh, and uh, he didn't do this under normal circumstances. He did this after going through the Holocaust, suffering horrific, horrific pain and agony himself, 
some of the stories anyone that has read his bio literally you don't even understand how he survived one of these stories one of these horrific experiences in the holocaust needless to say the whole thing and then on top of it uh you know having his uh, his wife and 11 kids murdered by the uh, nazis uh you would think that a person like this would just be depressed for the rest of their life but instead of being depressed like the average person all he did was live life and take revenge against the enemies by rebuilding rebuilding something bigger than anyone can possibly imagine even without all the tests building the Hasidut sons building the kilot in, in in israel in germany in uh in uh in uh, the united states doing things that are unbelievable and of course now we know this was a very unique neshama this wasn't just a high level neshama this was like a supercharged neshama so of course not everyone that i'm referring to that's a high level neshama can you know is the rebbe mitzans but you get the idea you're smart enough to to all get the idea if you've watched long enough you've uh, you've understood that there's uh, there's always exceptions to the exception but the point is is that parents of uh, of disabled kids have to know that number one they themselves are high level neshamot even if they view themselves as mediocre even if for all intents and purposes they are mediocre they're not necessarily brilliant they're not necessarily uh extraordinary uh, in anything uh, else but if shem gave them these tests where they have to withstand the the uh, the test of having uh children with major health difficulties uh inability to communicate inability to function in some cases you know major illnesses that means that your neshama is tuned differently it's tuned differently it's wired differently it has different tools different weapons which gives you the ability to handle tests that are much more significant than anyone else around you and that's the reason why no one else understands how you do what you do and don't expect them to understand you because it's like comparing a regular you know brand new i don't know toyota or regular car to a you know jet and uh, a jet plane that hasn't even been built yet because it's a literally it's a it disappears it uh, it can do whatever it wants just you, you cannot compare the two so when you tell your friends family and so on about the different things that to you have become normal the difficulties to you have, uh, have become normal and you see that you're finding yourself looking at people that are dumbfounded they have no idea how you do what you do that's because your neshama was tuned differently so that's at least one good thing that you could understand about yourself uh it's not necessarily going to uh, eliminate or, or ease the test but at the very least you should know that you were given this test and the other person wasn't given that test because you were also given tools that the other person doesn't have the other thing that you need to know is that uh, many sages have discussed it, the Arizal being one of them in Shara Gilgulim, is that uh, many times Hashem uh, has these tzaddikim, these extraordinarily righteous people that have lived their whole lives, that have achieved their mission in this world, but in order for them to go to either a certain level of heaven and get the ultimate reward, they have to 
uh, clean up some type of scratch on their neshama, some type of mistake they made, some type of uh, lacking that they have. And sometimes that requires a uh, certain uh, 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 tikkun in Shemaim, but sometimes it requires a tikkun in this world where this person, this neshama, has to come back into this world, live a certain life that could be a year, five years, 20 years, 50 years, you know, but the life is going to be very unusual, a life full of suffering, a life where this person typically cannot communicate, uh, and, and in so many words, cannot even make a sin. You know, they're not all there. But you should know that the neshama is 100% there, the neshama does understand everything, even though the body itself limits it. And there are uh, systems that have been de- developed over the years that uh, uh, allow us to communicate with uh, some of these very special neshamot of tzaddikim. And uh, some of them actually even have the insights uh, that are in the, uh, in, in, in the level of prophecy. As the Gemara says, that after the Bet HaMikdash, uh, was destroyed and prophecy was removed from the world you know the what remains of prophecy was given to people that have these uh, 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 these mental deficiencies or, or mental conditions if you want to call it and to children so sometimes you'll see that uh, these uh, these autistic people are telling you things that only a extraordinary Torah scholar would even understand needless to say say uh, and sometimes they could even tell you insights about what is ca- what is happening. And there's a few famous autistic uh, Jews that are uh, uh, you know that have discussed these things uh, with the public, some on a bigger scale than others. Uh, and the, you see them; they can't function, they can't move. The only thing they can do is they can move their fingers to type on a uh, very specialized computer, and they tell you exactly uh, what uh, you know what you could never imagine could be known by anybody other than you. Why? Because they're telling you about you without knowing you. They tell you what you did that day. They tell you what you did five years ago, 20 years ago, who you were, what you were, all types of, you know, abilities that are not of the common man. So these types of special neshamot are in uh, autistic children many times. Now, uh, again, this is not always the case, but many times it is the case. So, these types of tests of course are not easy and they're not given to just anybody and of course none of us want these tests even if you see the you know you you hear everything i just said you still don't want these tests and needless to say none of us want problem kids i remember years ago i saw a video uh someone sent me of a uh a parents giving their uh teenage son a brand new truck a a new truck Now, the truck wasn't new, but to him it was new. But this was a used truck. And instead of thanking and being grateful to his parents, this kid got so upset that he took a baseball bat and he destroyed the truck. Now, this is obviously a klipa. This is a horrible kid you never want to associate with. Needless to say, uh, have. So it's very important for us to know what can we do? What can we contribute? What can we change? in order to improve the health of the children that haven't come to this world. At the same token, we're also going to find out 
Why was I already an angry person when I was eight years old? Why was I already a uh, stingy person already when I was 10, 11 years old? Why was I, uh, you know, someone that, uh, you know, didn't really react to many things uh, already when I was younger, before I learned about how to control my temper or anything like that? Why was I always cool tempered? So some of these are going to be discussed tonight. So last week, in the last year, the uh, Ramban told us that uh, there's a teaching in the Gemara in Masechet Brachot that uh, tells us that uh, if a, uh, you position the, uh, the, um, the bed uh, towards the uh, side of the north, to the south, meaning sideways, if you will, this is going to uh, bring this is going to uh, bring a lot of good. It's going to bring healthy suns. This is going to bring a lot of good. On the other hand, if you uh, do it west to east, uh, which the Shulchan Aruch actually says you should not, and uh, some say even said you are not allowed to, uh, but uh, this can create problems. Now the Ramban, unlike Rashi, who said this is a skula, this is something mystical, uh, the position of the bed is not just about you know the uh, the uh, the dynamics of your of your bedroom. This is something mystical. The Ramban says, no, no. Put that aside for a second. This is something that has to do with the physical nature of the world, the physical nature of your bedroom, the physical nature of your body. And if you are careful about these things, you will have amazing results. Why? Because if a person understood already the last couple of lectures from this series that talk about the physical nature of the body, where uh, you, know, you should never eat right before intimacy, you shouldn't eat specific foods, uh, you know, if, a, if a person is a, uh, eats, that uh, food is digested, digestive process warms up the body. Once that body is warmed, the seed of the man is warmed up. And the seed of the, of the man can become too warm, too hot, and the in essence damaged and that damaged seed if it ends up producing a child will produce a problematic problematic child it could be problematic physically could be problematic spiritually could be both so everyone that's uh, that's uh, uh has paid attention realize okay you know what believe or not believe it's simply worth it to listen to the ramban Understand or don't understand, it's simply worth it to listen to the Ramban. Why? Because the change is not so significant. We don't have to change our lives that much in order to comply with what he's telling us. Now, you don't have to. These are not Torah obligations. These are teachings of the sages that are highly recommended. These are teachings of the sages that can certainly elevate every neshama to a much higher level. But if a person wants to ignore it, they're taking their risk on their own. But at the very least, we have teachings in our Holy Torah that are telling us why certain people have certain children, where you see that the giant sages of the generation many times brought children to the world that were unique, that were also very special high-level neshamot, meaning this kid didn't just come out of nowhere. Many times they had a yichus, they had a lineage. Now, of course... A lot of 
teachings had to follow because just what the kid is uh, whatever tools the kid is, is given are not automatically going to be used for good if the kid does not get <clears throat> the right teachings throughout their life they could still end up becoming a uh, a small hitler uh, but at the same token if the child is uh, taught the right way uh, and is given the right chinuch then you can develop certain tools that hashem gave that child and and literally uh bring a another extraordinary person into the world that can bring light to the world so <clears throat> this uh this part so far we've uh, we've gone we've gone uh, uh we've gone over already <clears throat> now the ramban is going to tell us about the outcome the outcome of whatever a person decides to do if a person decides to follow everything we've discussed you know prepare themselves spiritually prepare themselves mentally prepare themselves physically in order to have that balanced body soul and mentality in order to produce the clearest uh, most a uh, uh, pure seed that can produce the best child and the same concept for the for the woman as well or a person is simply gonna say ah eh, you know what it's not for me and he's gonna ignore it he's gonna tell you the outcome and he starts off with a very interesting word he says yadua yadua ki kol olad olam peti usachal he says this is known it's known that a person who's born of a cold drop he's referring to a drop of seed will be always a naive fool now the fact that he's trying to that he's starting the uh uh this paragraph and this segment of the uh, of the book with or letter uh with yadua he's saying it's known no who is it known to we didn't know until now who is it known to he's referring to torah scholars in the world of torah scholars the giants of his generation 750 years ago this was a known thing it wasn't such a new insight into the world in his world now in our world obviously this is everything is new this is part of the degradation of the generation this is part of the ignorance of the world this is part of the uh, uh unfortunately the re-education that uh they're providing to the world today where uh many times people are educated by television and movies and celebrities and all types of impure demented people instead of being taught by the holy sages and righteous people uh their their uh their role models and idols are people that uh, you don't even want to be friends with needless to say learn from uh where instead of learning from the holiest and most extraordinary and wonderful people that ever lived so it's important for a person to know that this degradation of the generation is not something that uh, happened all at once of course this is each generation has has, uh, has gotten lower and lower but there are you know the wisdom knowledge and even physicality of the previous generations if anyone from the past generations would show up today people would think the scientific world would think there would be aliens if you learn certain parts of the Gemara that talks about the physical ability and even the size of certain people at different times, they would think they were aliens. 
Why? Because the Gemara says there was a uh, one of the uh, Chachamim. Uh, you know, there was a. Uh, he was in his. Uh, I believe it was a building of some kind, maybe even in his house, and a fire broke out. And uh, out of concern, they realized they couldn't. Uh, they couldn't uh, contain it. They had to run out. And he was concerned about the two young men that were with him, two students of his. He grabbed both of them under his arms like two loaves of bread and ran outside and you know as far away from the building as possible now of course even if you uh are the world's strongest man to go carry a full-grown male under your arm like a loaf of bread is not possible for anybody today but this was something that was possible a couple of thousand years ago another example is that the uh says if somebody is a shepherd and of course if you're a shepherd you can't have the uh your uh all of your uh uh sheep and uh, goats and so on next to you at all times you know they roam they, they're on a field it's a huge field uh they need to go to different places you have to give them some type of freedom but uh of course you're not the only one that's there there's going to be other people so how do you know what is yours and what's not and the Gemara says as far as you can see just make sure that wherever you allow your uh, 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 your sheep and goats go, it's as far as you can see. So the very next question in the Gemara says is, how far can he see? How far does the average person see? And it gives a measurement that's 10 mil. 10 mil is 10 miles. He can see as far as 10 miles with his naked eye. Now, I don't need to tell you that no one on planet Earth can see 10 miles away but in those days you could and there are many many examples that we have in the torah of how the physical nature of people was very different another uh last example that i've mentioned that has driven uh certain people crazy over the years until they learn the uh the gemara and they learn different parts that where this is simply a, a fact uh not a uh, a theory was uh, that the levy tribe uh and which includes Moshe Rabenu were all 10 amot uh tall at least at least 10 amot 10 amot means 20 feet they're all 20 feet now the average person what Moshe Rabenu was a giant no to you he's a giant because today people are not 20 feet tall today you know people are I don't know if you're a uh, six feet tall you're considered a uh, uh relatively tall if you're seven feet tall every uh basketball team on planet earth is going to want you to play for them even if you don't know what to do with the ball so why because it's considered very tall today i think the tallest man in the world is something like eight and a half feet or something close to that nine feet so when you hear something like oh moshe rabbeinu moses was 20 feet tall that sounds to you oh giant no he wasn't a giant the entire levy tribe was that tall that was the standard now for those that have trouble believing that they should know that this was something that had to be because in order to carry the arona kodesh since part of the arona kodesh was uh there was the poles that were holding it up if you will uh that had to be uh, on the uh, shoulders of the levy tribe but then the the arona kodesh was the the poles weren't on the bottom of Darun. they were in the middle of Darun. Okay, that the, so so this Aron uh, Kodesh uh, had to you know it was the measurement required for whoever's picking it up for their shoulder to be close to 
20 amot off the ground. Now, if they were even nine feet tall, like the tallest man in the world today, the Aron HaKodesh would not be able to be carried. They wouldn't be able to carry it. They wouldn't be able to do anything. Now, again, the Aron HaKodesh really carried itself. It floated in the air. It floated in the air. It uh, uh, split mountains. It did all types of wonderful things. But still, the the uh, the way that Hashem wanted it and instructed us to do is that the Levi tribe would have to carry it. And they had to carry it on their shoulders. And again, make it seem as if it's being carried. The point being is, is that once you learn the details the details of how things function, you realize it's not possible any other way, meaning the, the physical uh, 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 description of Moses and the levy trap couldn't be anything else. Now, if you compare everything to the normalcy of today, nothing in the Torah is going to make sense to you. Does splitting the ocean into 12 tunnels make sense to you? No. Does you know hail with lava inside going down to the you know only hitting Egyptians even if the Jew is right next to them make any sense to you? No. Does a flood you know destroying the entire world except this little boat or really big boat the size of a football field make any sense? No. A lot of things don't make sense if you compare them to the world today. Hence the reason why we have to learn from the books and not from what we see as normal and what we've become accustomed to. The same concept when it comes to intimacy, when it comes to marriage, when it comes to any type of uh, uh, ethical development that a person has in order to elevate themselves, they have to understand that they have to remove themselves from whatever they believe and whatever has become standard in the world. Because if they don't, if they're constantly comparing everything to where they are right now in order for them to justify it, they're not going to survive a single page in any book in the Torah. So the Ramban tells us that there are certain people that were born from a cold drop, cold drop of seed. Their parents were not careful uh, in their preparation for intimacy. And uh, either the condition was too cold they didn't warm themselves up enough or they did certain things with uh you know they, they lived in certain places or you know they uh, uh they acted in certain ways that made the uh the, the position of the bed was a uh, was a certain way where the seed of the male was cold that cold seed produces something that's not ideal what is it a naive fool Someone that is a foolish person, someone that's naive, someone that is not going to be the, uh, the, the person that's going to have the best memory. Now again, these are tools they're born with. Doesn't mean that they have to stay that way, which we'll discuss in a moment. But this is what is a result of the cold seed. On the other hand, if someone, let's say, ate right before intimacy, or someone was angry, they got into a fight, and then they were intimate, uh, or someone is a uh, uh, intimate in a very hot environment, let's say, instead of being uh, intimate as the uh, sages instruct us to do it only in the middle of the night and not uh, during the day, one of the reasons is, aside from modesty, is also because it's cooler during the night, even in hot, uh, hot uh, climates. 
You know, so uh, places like the Middle East where Am Yisrael spent, you know, their, their history uh, for, for, for their first uh, couple thousand years, uh, this it was a hot climate. Whether it was in uh, Babylon, in Iraq, in Egypt, in uh, uh, Jordan, in Israel, uh, all of these Middle Eastern uh, countries, they're all very hot. So if a person uh, wanted to bring a, uh, a neshama, the ideal time to, uh, to have intimacy would be during the middle of the night when everything cooled down. Because if they ignored this instruction and they were intimate during the day, aside from it being not a modest thing because people could hear, people could, uh, uh, could, uh, hear, could see, you know, it's not, it's not the uh, ideal uh, time to do things. Um, this produced a hot seed. Now, what happens with the hot seed? He was born from a heated drop, will always be an irritable, impatient man, easy to anger. So, already we see that the seed being cold or warm has an impact on whatever is going to be, whatever is going to come out of there, whatever child is going to come out of there. If somebody that was in the uh, let's say in, in Russia or Poland or, or Canada or any of these really cold climates and was not careful enough to make sure that a, uh, they, they prepared themselves and they did whatever they wanted to do in, in, in a cold environment that produces a certain type of cold seed that cold seed produces a cold personality on the other hand Someone that lived in a hot environment that wasn't uh, careful also produced a hot uh, seed which produced an irritable, angry person. It's interesting that this is obviously just a, uh, a personal uh, um, uh, just insight, I would say. It's not something that the Ramban uh, teaches here. But it's interesting that if you actually compare the uh you know people that come from russia poland uh you know the ashkenazi jews uh, you know many of them are they do tend to be more likely to be more cold more calm uh you know uh, personalities this is not to say they're stupid or they're naive this is just just the, the the cold seed of that environment produced that type of personality which again has its benefits which we'll discuss, but we see that that part of the world does produce that type of personality. On the other hand, the uh, the people from the Middle East, people from you know from my ancestors, people that are from Israel today, or people that are uh, in uh, uh, different hot climates, they tend to be more angry. They tend to be more hot tempered. They tend to be sometimes less patient. So it's not just a coincidence, I think. I think obviously it has a lot to do with what the Ramban is saying. Now, the Gemara in Masechet Orayot, in the last daf, says that there is a dry brain and a wet brain. Two types of brain. Meaning, brain. What is this dry brain or, or, or wet brain? The dry brain, where it's uh, less fluid, produces a greater memory. The person that has a drier brain will have a much, much better memory. 
and the person that has a more wet brain will not have as good of a memory but will be sharper more analytical and able to look at certain details that the one with the greater memory is not uh, capable of doing now in those days of the sages there was really two types of uh, descriptions one was a uh, sinai and the other one was okel slaim the uh, so one was compared to uh, mount sinai and the other one was uprooting mountains what does this mean the dry brain with the greater memory he was compared to sinai the one that was uh, with the wet brain the sharper more analytical mind he was the one that was uprooting mountains and the uh, multiple places in the Gemara, there is debates. Which one is better? Is it better to have a better memory, though less analytical? Or is it better to have a not as good of a memory, but you're more into the pilpul and analyzing things and looking at the uh, things uh, perhaps in a, a different way than the others? Now, whatever your opinion is, the Chachamim concluded Sinai is better. Sinai is better, meaning the better memory is more valuable in the world of Torah. And this is why they gave the, uh, the top job to Rav Yosef instead of to Rabba. Rav Yosef was Sinai, and Rabba was, a, uh, was, uh, um, was with the uh, um, uprooting mountains. So, today... The world has changed in its perception of things even though the knowledge has gone down you would think that people would say okay listen you know good memory or uh you know you have a uh a sharp brain you would think that you'd hope that once in a while you'd find somebody that has one or the other today unfortunately many people they uh, there's like a uh, what Robert Frame calls an inflation in uh, in titles where anybody out there that can give a good speech anybody out there that writes a book that is uh, remotely uh, popular anyone out there that someone older than them uh, says oh this person is a you know is a, is a genius automatically people say oh yeah he is both Sinai and Okele Slaim. he is everything he's not up he's not only great memory he's also uh, uh, very very sharp he's everything he's Gdolado. he's the next uh, Ravavadia he's the next uh, Stiplagon he's the next uh, Chafetz and, and people go crazy now you should know that it's rare rare to ever find someone that's both very very rare so rare that here we have two extraordinary sages that are named in the gemara that was so holy and wise and so uh, uh close to hashem that they were able to revive the dead anyone that's the gemara in Masechet says anyone that's named by name in the gemara in the talmud that means that they were already at, at, had the ability to re- resurrect the dead so of Yosef and Rabbah are not given this title of both but rather just one of them but yet today people say oh this is my rabbi he's everything he has a great memory he's analytical he is he's everything so you know it's a again 
a little bit of a uh, jab on uh, on our generation that uh, to take it easy a little bit. You know, let's say your rabbi may be great, your rabbi may be very, very smart, may have even a very good memory, but to start throwing titles out there uh, and give all of them to, uh, to people only... Uh, you know, lessens their value. It's the same concept in the world of business. Uh, you know, if you, uh, anytime uh, I, uh, you know, would do business with people and, you know, they would give the business card. And anytime I would see that, you know, somebody has a business card with like a whole bunch of different titles, you know, usually I know that this person has some type of problem. He has some type of personality disorder or some type of, uh, uh, you know, self-confidence issue. Something's wrong with this person. Why? Because why do you need all these titles other than spending more money on ink what else does it give to you and as we discussed in previous lectures we don't have to go over again is that you know people usually overcompensate they they spend too much time on the outer uh, uh, image on what people see and not necessarily enough on the inner image of what's in them their ability their skill their their uh, uh, their uh, what, what what really is them so this is, uh, you know, another part of uh, falsehood that's uh, unfortunately very common in the world. So, if you see how the uh, the sages, the greatest sages of all time, whether the ones from a couple thousand years ago, or even the ones that uh, were, you know, are among us or have been among us for the, let's say the last 30, 50, 100 years, when they were presented to the public, especially during the uh, earlier times where they had a little bit more control over what's being said about them. Um, you saw how they literally didn't view themselves anywhere near as great as what people view, even uh, you know someone that uh, is remotely popular. Many times they would uh, frown upon the fact that people gave them so much honor. And titles, many of them hated the titles. Many of them refused to have these, uh, these titles. You know, but today... <clears throat> Anybody that is uh, holding a uh, event, a lecture event, or inviting some, uh, you know, a, a rabbi, the Talmud Chacham from Israel, on the uh, poster, you're always going to find the Gaon, the Tzaddik, the Kadosh, the this, like literally 50 different uh, adjectives describing the, uh, this, this rabbi before he even showed up. So the inflation in, in, in titles, unfortunately, is not just in the business world, it's also in our Torah world. But the key is to know that since the Ramban is following the teachings of the Torah, where Masechet Orayot is saying it's either a uh, uprooting mountains or it's someone at Sinai, that means that aside from there being these two different descriptions, that means that, and, and it being rare, that means that if he is Sinai, meaning if he has a good memory is usually not very good at, at, at analyzing things as far as the small details if he has analytical skills he's usually not one with great memory meaning it's usually not both the same concept when it comes to the naive fool uh description that uh, the ramban is giving and the angry person the hot-tempered person it's rare to find someone that's naive and at the same token hot-tempered it's rare to find someone that has a cold personality but yet is easy to anger meaning that although yes that soul has a negative part about it where 
okay, he's prone to anger, but at the very least, he's not going to be one of these psychopaths that keeps that anger internally and then eventually blows up and kills people like some of these psychopath LGBTQBs are, uh, are, are killing people today in schools and everywhere. You know, which, by the way, as a side note, just so you know, the last four, uh, uh, you know, sociopaths that kill people, uh, whether it's the Colorado Springs uh, shooter uh, or the uh, Denver shooter or the uh, Aberdeen shooter or the Nashville shooter, all of them were part of the LGBTQB uh, uh, sociopath world. So this is not a new thing. This is, as I told one of my dear Tommy Deem earlier today, this is not nothing new under the sun. Shlomo Melech says nothing new under the sun. That means nothing new under the sun. At the time of the uh, first Bet HaMikdash uh, and its destruction, there was the, the uh, um, strongest king in the world that will remain the strongest power in the world as far as no one had as much control over the world as he did and no one will have as much control as he did until Mashiach comes because that's what Hashem uh, promised him was Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar got this uh, message from uh, 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 Daniel the prophet and uh, when he had the uh, dream of the different uh, statue with uh, uh, different, you know, part of it was gold, part of it was silver, part of it was uh, uh, stone, uh, you know, so and copper. Point is, this inter- the interpretation of the dream, part of it was that Daniel was telling Nebuchadnezzar that his kingdom, Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom, was blessed to be the strongest one that's going to exist until Mashiach comes. So that means that Nebuchadnezzar had literally access to anything and everything he could possibly imagine. And anyone that has seen some of the archaeological findings uh, that are uh, in uh, a few books, one I've showed you before and others that are out there, of uh, Babylon and how, uh, how he built it, the statues and everything else, literally was a magnificent place. So you would think that someone with access to anything and everything that they want, they would, you know, be someone that takes advantage of everything and anything that they want, but not takes advantage of something that is not really, you know, uh, supposed to be. But yet, Nebuchadnezzar, one of the things that he's known for is that as he would invite all of the kings, you know, the, the, he had kings under him that were uh, ruling different uh, countries in the world, but they were all subservient to Nebuchadnezzar, and he would invite them, uh, to see him, and every every time he would invite one of these kings, he would rape the king. He would rape the king. Now you have access to every woman on planet Earth. You have access to every level of beauty out there. You have access to people that you know want to be with you, even if you're crazy like that. Why rape another man? Needless to say, like why? This is it. When a person accustoms themselves to follow their lust, whatever their lust says, meaning if they want something today, they're going to get it today. If they have a desire now, they're going to fulfill that desire now without any restraint, both the Ramban, the, uh, the Gemara, the Rabbi Nachman Rebreslev, and many other parts of uh, uh, Judaism discuss that the more a person satiates this lust, the more hungry they become, where initially it starts as a normal uh, desire, 
where a person desires normal things but they don't want it in a normal quantity they want more so initially a person will start with wasting seed but not wasting seed like a uh, a person with normal uh, a uh, desires but rather abnormal where you have unfortunately many of these young men uh and sometimes older that i uh help uh, get out of this uh, addiction to pornography and all types of other filth many of them literally come uh, you know deathly sick now they don't even realize that they're deathly sick they just think oh yeah I, you know i have this problem and then when you know you get sometimes you get certain details from them some many times they volunteer the details uh tell oh listen i'm uh you know i waste seed twice a day three times a day and i'm thinking, I'm thinking to myself wait a minute what even if you were married to 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 five women you wouldn't have to do that like who what when three times a day like how do you even have the energy but this unfortunately is uh, one of the things that the satan uh gives a person the strength is actually there's a greater desire to waste seed when a person is by themselves than even with other people but initially it starts with losing control when it comes to wasting seed by self then it expands to wanting to waste seed with others if a person doesn't start controlling themselves then they're going to become promiscuous meaning they're going to want multiple people they're not going to settle for one person even if it's a wife that loves them and, uh, and adores them and takes care of them adultery is right around the corner whether it's a uh, you know the, the the secretary or it's the doctor or it's the accountant or it's your uh, best friend's wife there's no there's no control once a person sees their lust as a type pro- top priority in their life there's simply no control and the ramban says it doesn't stop there because as a person gives themselves more to satisfy their lust they're going to desire more which means eventually it's not going to be enough to be with just one partner or even with multiple partners they're going to want something more taboo so they're going to do things that are more taboo which is it could be multiple partners it could be all types of different filthy behavior that uh, i don't have to give you the details of and i could just uh, uh allow you to uh, uh understand already from the words i'm a vin yavin uh but if that's not enough if the satiation is not going under control the person takes it to the next level and can easily go into the world of homosexuality now if i would have said this 20 years ago people would have thought i was crazy why because what are you talking about just because the guy is promiscuous he's going to become a homosexual that's crazy that's uh you know stereotyping that's fanaticism that's no no but now you know it why because everyone has heard either directly or indirectly about all of the horrible things that are happening in the celebrity world where literally you know people that portray themselves as gangster rappers tough guys actually have to submit themselves in horrible uh, uh, ways in order to get what they want to get and sometimes they desire it themselves and and many times people justify it either it's for career or it's for this or it's for that meaning that homosexuality is a practically a standard in the world of celebrity in the world of hollywood in the world of of of, uh, 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 of success 
This is why also pedophilia has obviously gone up and is on the rise. And, and the reality is that this is all begins with behavior. Are you going to contain yourself and understand that you have to act like a human? Or are you not going to contain yourself and act like an animal where, simply put, you're going to fulfill every desire that comes up? Now, even when that's, uh, that is not enough, there is obviously the, uh, the expression that goes even beyond that, which goes into bestiality. The uh, people that have uh, researched this in the world of science have uh, linked the uh, high rate of uh, erectile dysfunction and erectile uh, uh, cancer with the people that live in countries where bestiality is higher, such as Brazil and, uh, and, and other countries that uh, have this as a standard where the custom of the of the people in the country is bestiality meaning it's a it's part of the things that they literally teach their kids oh before you get married train on the donkey train on some other filthy disgusting uh craziness like how would anybody even come up with such an idea why can't you just you know get them married or, or even if it's without marriage like how did you go that far how did you go that far that's because whoever was teaching them was already at the complete psychopath level of satiating their their lust where there was no lust they wouldn't uh, they would they would contain they would simply would meet every single type of desire and they had students and those students had students and, and this is what you have you have people in the world that literally uh, have uh, bestiality is uh, perfectly fine in their eyes so there's nothing new under the sun absolutely nothing new under the sun same concept which was happening in the you know violence comes with it so the discovery of the media and, and the world that uh, the, the the shooters happen to have this type of behavioral traits is nothing new for anyone that learns to why because this is what happened in the past this is what for those people that do that this is what happens gonna happen today nothing new so with that filth in the back of our mind and hopefully very very far back we have to go back to trying to attain holiness but first and foremost we have to identify the risk of not attaining holiness by simply ignoring holiness and simply looking for just meeting our desires a person has a desire let's just meet it like a horse like a donkey why because this is the biggest wall that's standing between you and becoming holy it's controlling your desires if a person allows themselves allows themselves to control their desires they could attain holiness if a person does not allow themselves they could literally are be a a, a, a corner away from becoming one of the demented people that i just discussed now why do i say allows themselves because the average person say no i can't do it I can't do it. I, I need this. I need that. No, no, no. You don't need. You want. You don't need. Humans are not animals that are required to live based on instinct. Humans have a mind. Hashem said when he created you, whether Jew or Gentile, he created you in his image. Meaning you're, you have the mind, you have the mindset to be able to determine the difference between right and wrong. 
if you do not have the ability to determine between right and wrong, that means you are somebody that is should be removed from society. You have some type of mental condition. We have to enclose you to protect you from yourself and from other people. But if you are not part of those people, you are part of society, that means that whatever desire and addiction you have, it's in your control. And thereby, you have to allow yourself to overcome it. Because you can, regardless of what the addiction is and regardless of how long you've been doing it. So the Ramban says that this also has an impact on marriage and on the children. Because if a person views their marriage either as simply a place to fulfill their desires and that, that, that's the only thing, or simply views their wife as a baby oven and that's the only thing, and simply views their intimacy as what the animals view it as, as just simply an act uh, a, a sexual act not an act of intimacy then none of what we are teaching can help them why because they're going to ignore all of it they're simply going to ignore all of it if he or she thinks that every time they have something a physical desire they have to fulfill it nothing can help such a person but if a person wants to at least wants to at least try then they should know that when they ignore it there's a consequence the consequence is the cold seed the cold seed will create a certain personality or warm seed warm seed will create a certain personality the upside is that if you educate yourself you'll understand also why the kids that you have are the way they are you'll also understand why you may have certain traits the way you are and that's not necessarily always the case because you've obviously already grown up and you've already done your own thing and if you've surrounded yourself with a uh, a bunch of uh, angry people then you're more likely to become one of these angry people because you've surrounded yourself with gangsters you surrounded yourself with mobsters you surrounded yourself with criminals of all types that have told you and have taught you that anger is a portrayal of 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 confidence rather than it's a it's a lowliness it's a low life trait that ignoring you know the emotions is a is a uh, uh, you know a, a way of showing strength rather than insensitivity so if you've brought yourself into that then obviously whatever you were born with is not necessarily as relevant so the ramban is telling us that one of the things that's important to know is that if they are one they're usually not the other they're usually not the other and characteristically this difference between the two are things you can build on in a positive way meaning that if a person is let's say for example born from a cold seed and they tend to be more cold personality they could express that negativity but still in a positive way one of the things that uh, you'll uh, see among some of the chachamim and the ashkenazi world is that many times they don't speak much rather yashiv alava shalom was asked 
what is a uh, goal that you think a person should have in their life? He says a person should live a life with a goal that during, let's say, their seven years of life, people won't talk about them. They would simply stay out of conversation. They won't be the highlight of conversation. They won't be, you know, constantly causing people to pay attention to them. Now, of course, this excludes words of Torah. If a person, you know, said a good Dvar Torah, if a person had a teaching of wisdom, wrote a book, gave a good lecture, sure, you want everyone to speak about it because that's, you know, increasing the Torah. But we're talking about outside of Torah. The goal, Rabbi Yashiv says, is to stay out of people's conversations. Don't be one of these traffic lights where every single time you move, everybody pays attention. Now today, obviously, in the, uh, you know, and many people are ignorant of this, and instead of starting trying to run away from attention, they look for attention. They wear certain clothes and certain jewelry because they want everyone to look at them. They drive certain cars because they want people to look at them. They live in certain places and in certain houses because they want the attention. They act in certain ways because they want it. Literally the opposite of what Rabbi Yashif says will actually give a person a, uh, an accomplished life. Now he himself, even during his shulim when he would give, he would literally stick to the book and just give you exactly the uh, exact amount of words of Torah that's necessary. You're not going to hear Rabbi Yashif start giving you a uh, some sob story of, of having a tough day because he's only sleeping three hours a day and studying the rest of the time. You're not going to hear that. So he and he lived, Baruch Hashem, to 102 years old. And when he left this, uh, this world in this orphan generation, he left this world with, uh, I believe it was almost a thousand grandchildren. And a Torah that's being learned, a Torah that's being followed, a, 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 a teachings, a stamp that he put into the world of Torah that is a, uh, you know, we can only wish to have a fraction of it. So an accomplished life is an understatement. But without saying much, without looking for attention, without saying, hey, look at me, look at me, I have this, I know this, I wrote this. No, no. He stuck to the principles that he taught and the whole world knows who he is. Even Goim know who Rav Yashiv was. People that are not necessarily always very aware of, uh, of who Torah scholars are and who they aren't. So, the cold drop, although it could be uh, produce a naive fool, it also produces a cold personality, which that cold personality could be favorable to a person that wants to be quiet because they're not a passionate person that always has to say something that feels this inner urge to be heard to be loud on the other hand this uh this type of uh cold seed could also result with a person not being a uh you know prone to uh, anxiety you know many people today suffer from anxiety everything makes them anxious this is also one of the reasons why I always tell people that it's forbidden for Jews to watch the news and it's quite frankly, uh, it's not forbidden, but it's a really bad idea for non-Jews to watch the news. Why? Because all that it's going to produce is anxiety. That's all the news is going to produce. You read the newspaper, anxiety. You watch the news, anxiety. And even though sometimes I tell people, don't watch it, don't do it, and so- sometimes people are addicted to it. 
Some people even take it a step further. They don't just watch the news. They watch the news that is full of conspiracy, meaning it's not only full of Lashonara, it's not only full of uh, gossip, it's not only full of, of uh, uh, you know, going against uh, God in, in many different ways, uh, atheism, anti-Semitism, immorality. It's not just that. It's also conspiracy, where every single news account is about how the world is going to end, or it's controlled by a small group of people, or the war that is, a, is about to begin every day, 20 years, the war is about to begin every day. Again, even though this is part, partly similar to some things you'll hear in Torah lectures, it's a world of difference. Why? Because if you hear it from, uh, from a, a Torah lecture, the goal of the Torah lecture is to tell, yes, the world could end. Life could end. Mashiach could arrive. The trouble is ahead. The goal is to help you improve your life by changing direction. It's not to scare you. It's to redirect you. Sometimes honking the horn can save a life. Yeah, but it's scary. It's scaring him into changing direction, into stopping. But the goal of the conspiracy theories and the, 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 all these types of news uh, outlets and, and videos to talk about how it's the end of the world and uh, this one did this and there's a new world order and there is a uh, poison in the water and there's poison in the, in the gas and there's poison in the mountain and there's poison in this and everything is horrible. What's the goal? To scare you to the point where you feel like you have to keep watching them in order to survive. It's not to help your life. It's not to save you even. It's simply to cause you to become addicted to their channel because you feel like you need this in order to survive these so-called scary times. So people that are prone to anxiety this is like them watching this type of news is like them drinking poison for breakfast lunch and dinner now a person that is a cold, has a cold personality most likely is not even going to bother watching these types of networks not only will they not be affected by them but they won't even watch them why because this is not something that they're inclined to they're not they're not motivated by it they're not inspired by it they're not attracted to it so that cold personality has its benefits on the other hand a person that is from a hot drop that becomes irritable impatient easy to anger are usually the people that watch these types of things are usually people that are more prone to listen to this type of talk there are some people that when they first start doing tshuva, they're uh, attracted to teachings about the end of days, Mashiach. Now, although it's a very interesting topic, and I've done a few shulim about it over the years, if you noticed, at some point, we generally stop talking about it. You know, we'd mention it here and there because it is a constant topic in, the, in different parts of the Gemara, different parts of the Torah, that this is this is part of our life part of our life is the end of this world but it's no it's never been the mo 
of the teachings. It's never been something we would uh, uh, make a, uh, 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 as a priority of a Jewish life, as a priority of anybody's life. But yet there are certain people, literally, that they would only watch the Mashiach lectures. They became experts about Mashiach. Little did they know that if Mashiach did arrive, they would be the last people to even be considered to be saved. Why? Because they don't know anything. They don't know anything about Torah. They don't know anything about mitzvot. They don't know anything about Allah. They just know about these fair, you know, these stories. These stories, some are true, some are fairy tales. Why? Because when they don't have uh, uh, enough uh, rabbis speaking about Mashiach, where do they go? They go to, you know, different outlets. Sci-fi channels, Christians. Oh, they'll go anywhere. Why? Because they have the uh, the urge to fulfill this uh, this uh, anxious uh, uh, addiction. Now I've talked about this a few times over the years, and I've had a few people that I've met. They used to come to my lectures where they would constantly tell me, "Oh, listen, can you, can you tell us about Mashiach?" You know, in the beginning, I would try to like you know say a few things here and there just to cater to them in order to keep them coming and listen to the other two hours that I'm talking. But eventually, I would literally rebuke them when they would ask me, "Why?" Because what do you, look, okay, you, you, you already know enough. You know more than, more than anybody else about like Enough. There's, the Torah is much bigger than just this one topic about the world ending. And what ends up happening many times is that if those people don't change direction, that tshuva that they started based on the teachings of the end of days, not only it doesn't get developed, it ends where they end up going back to their bad ways. They end up going back to desecrating Shabbat. They end up going back to, you know, wasting seed. And what happened? You were, you know, you just changed your life, you know, because you were scared of Mashiach. Well, how could you go back to, you know, drugs and alcohol and all this other stuff? How could, how could you do all that? Eventually, even that is not enough. Even that is not enough. And the same concept goes for people that are watching the media, watching politics, and are constantly trying to connect it. Oh, if Trump wins, maybe he's going to be Gog, or maybe he's this. And people that are constantly connecting, you know, out of their own intellect, different things to the Torah, and they make one part of the Torah, like the whole Torah, it's usually full of anxiety, and, uh, and, and simply it's, it's a curse, it's not a blessing. So the people that are more likely to do this, more prone to do this, are people that are already predispositioned to have anxiety, to have anger. Now, on one end, this is very negative. On another end, there's a positive aspect of this hot seed. The positive aspect is that these types of people, if they know how to develop themselves, can actually redirect that heat into a positive passion, which makes them much more likely to express their love to their loved ones, to their wife, to their kids, to their husband. Even more so, they could use that love towards Hashem and be very passionate in the way they serve Hashem, very passionate in the way they pray. You could see them pray and literally cry just on a basic, average, everyday tefillah. That's one of the things we saw with the Rebbe Fimtzans. The Rebbe Mitzans praying on an average Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Mincha, would cry more than any of us would cry on Yom Kippur. And you see the amount of energy he puts into every prayer, and you just, it's unbelievable 
how much love he had for HaKadosh Baruch Hu, how much fear he had from HaKadosh Baruch Hu, how connected he was from HaKadosh Baruch Hu, the passion that he had in every one of his prayers, alvai that we would have such a thing. Alvai we would have such a thing. Needless to say, if somebody's learning Torah with that type of passion, how great they can become. So, here we see that there is, again, nothing that Hashem does is only bad. It could be used for bad, it could be used for good. So don't be so angry if, let's say, your parents did whatever they did and you were more prone to anger or you're more prone to being cold and somebody's complaining about it. Why? Because the reality is it's in your hands. Whatever tools you were given can be used for a positive purpose. So with that being said, what if a person is in a position that they want and have the ability to bring children to the world? And they don't want the kid to be prone to one thing or the other. They want the kid to be the best. They want the kid to already be born with literally the best of the best, already from the out of the gate. They don't even need to overcome their uh, cold nature or their uh, over overly uh, passionate personality. They want somebody to be right in the middle. That's where the Ramban goes next. And he says... A person that's born from a drop balanced between hot and cold will always be wise of precious spirit understanding and of composed temperament characteristically he will be acceptably involved with people and concerning this the Torah says in the name of, of, of Hana, Hana, the mother of Shmuel, when she was praying for him, in the book of Shmuel 1, chapter 1, verse 11, Hana says, And you gave unto your handmaid a man-child. That's what she prayed for. She prayed to Hashem to give her a man-child. What does it mean a man-child? The Gemara in Masechet Brachot, page 31b says, which the Ramban is bringing, is that the sages interpreted this to mean that she will have a child who is neither swarthy nor pale, neither foolish, neither tall nor short, to teach you that of all these that all of these qualities will be in moderation, a blending of heat and cold. And this, says the Ramban, is the secret explaining between north and south. This is the secret of male children of which we have spoken. Here we see one of the most famous stories in the Tanakh, the story of Chana. Chana is dying for a kid. Her, you know, she, she is literally yearning to, to, uh, to, to have a kid. She cannot have a kid. The, uh, you know, her husband is, is married to two wives, the, uh, the second wife, uh, Pnina, is having one kid after the other. And although she meant well, she, uh, you know, she would cause a lot of sorrow to Chana. She meant well. She wanted her to pray even harder for Hashem to give her a son, to give her kids. And because of that, she would say, oh, look, I have a shirt for my kid. What about when you have a kid? Or you, do you have a kid? And she would do certain things to cause her to cry because she wanted her to cry to Hashem so Hashem would have mercy on her. 
But she ended up getting punished because that was not the right approach. Let's just say that. Either way, this Chana, this Tzadika, who the Gemara in Masechah says that from her we learn how to pray Amida, from a righteous woman. She prays for an average kid. She doesn't want him to stand out. She doesn't want him to be too tall, too short, too pale, too stupid. No, no, no. She just wants a regular, average kid that could simply serve Hashem. That's what she wants. She doesn't want him to be a center of attention. And what does she get? She gets the most righteous person of his generation. And the Gemara says that Shmuel was the equivalent of Moshe and Aaron together in his generation. Now, you see here that not only does she pray for something that perhaps the average person would say, wait, why wouldn't you ask for the best? Why wouldn't you ask for something, you know, someone that's, uh, you know, has his own show on the, you know, on the, uh, on YouTube, on uh, CNN, I don't know, on, on some uh, HBO network. Why wouldn't you uh, ask for someone that's really going to, you know, going to be very successful and rich? Chana says, no, that's not, the, that's not the important parts of life. The important parts of life is to be able to serve Hashem in peace. And how can you serve Hashem in peace if people are constantly bothering you? Either because you're too this and you're too that and you do this and you do that and you're constantly center of attention. No, no. I just want my son to serve Hashem. So it shows us that when we're praying for Hashem to give us something, we shouldn't ask for extreme cases. We should ask Hashem to just simply give us the best thing for us. The Gemara in Masechet Moed Katan says that there was a Bachol that was in a yeshiva that would, uh, would come to the uh, shul and he would cry. And one of the Chachamim saw him cry. And he says, why are you crying? He says, oh, the Rav, I want to marry this girl. And she doesn't want to marry me. So I'm crying to Hashem to soften her heart and convince her to marry me. The sage says to him, don't do that. Don't tell Hashem to cause you to marry a particular person. Maybe she's bad for you. Just tell Hashem to send you a zivug, to send you a shiduch, send you somebody to marry that's the best thing for you. Don't ask for something specific with Hashem. He didn't listen. Some time passed, and this Chacham came to visit this town again. And he sees the same guy crying still. He says, you're still crying over the same girl? She's still about her not marrying you? He said, no, Kvadarav, you don't understand. She did marry me. Okay, so why are you crying? Now I'm crying for Hashem to, to have mercy on me and get her out of my life. She's torturing me. I hate her. The Chacham says, the Gemara says, from there we, we learn, don't give Hashem conditions for the salvation. Just ask for the salvation. Ask for the blessing. Ask for the blessing. Don't ask Hashem to do something specific. So here we see that Chana didn't ask for the greatest and the best and the tallest and the... No, no. Just want calm, collected, basic, out of center of attention so he could serve Hashem in peace. Because that's why I want to have a son. And this reminds us of what we talked about last week. Where sometimes you'd ask people why they want to have kids. You know, they say, listen, Rabbi, can you uh, pray for me or do something so I can have a kid? 
Now, usually you don't ask people why they want to have a kid because you assume they want to have a kid for the right reason. But today, you have to think twice about that. Why? Because the average person, if you do ask him, don't, doesn't give the right answer. You ask him, why do you want to have a kid? Oh, I want to build my name. Oh, I, want, uh, I need some help, you know, as I get older. And the reality is that if you want to build your name, buy a building. Make a new chocolate bar. Start a company. Call it after your name. Get a business card. Put, card, put your name on that card. You don't have kids to build your name. Building your name? You're not supposed to have kids for that purpose. That's not a real reason to have kids. That's just an arrogant way to express yourself. Same thing when getting help? Get employees. Get employees. Get a dog. Get customer service. You don't have kids to get help. Sure, kids should help their parents. And sure, kids should certainly produce enough good that it's a good name for the family. But that's not the reason to have kids. To have kids, the purpose is to have more ways to serve Hashem. More ways to serve Hashem. Because as a parent without kids, he's limited to how many ways he can serve Hashem. He's limited to himself. But now if he has a kid, or two, or five, or ten, or more, now he has more ways to serve Hashem. He has more mitzvot to do, the brit milah, or to teach his uh, children modesty, or to make sure she marries a tzaddik, and avrech, and not some uh, gangster, to give them the proper chinuch, to teach them how to behave, to teach them morals, to teach them Torah and mitzvot. There's a whole slew of mitzvot that a person cannot do without having kids. Meaning, there's a whole slew of opportunities to serve Hashem that are simply not available to him or her until they have kids. But if you want to have kids to build your name, you want kids so they can help you, you want to have kids for the wrong reason. We see Chana, Chana the Tzadikah. She wants to have a kid for what? So she can serve Hashem. So she can serve Hashem in a way that she wasn't able to do without. Says the Ramban, this, this perfect request that she had yielded her yielded her the most extraordinary tzaddik of his generation one of the most extraordinary tzaddikim of all generations a blessing now of course this is not something that just happened just because of the prayer it happened also because of all the other things that we've discussed in this series the spiritual the physical the mental preparation needless to say the prayer itself knowing exactly what to uh, what to request but at the same token also knowing that even if you get something that's not the final conclusion because whatever you get you can develop you can develop in a positive way you can develop in a negative way hashem can give you a brain that could remember everything but a person can waste that ability that he can waste that memory by remembering phone numbers by remembering uh, salaries of of different sports players by remembering the uh, the lines and movies by remembering you know all types of stock symbols and all types of waste that are not only is not going to help him or her in their life but it's going to ruin their life you ask the person, listen, uh, um, do you know what parasha is this week? No. Do you know what parasha was last week? No. 
Do you know when Pesach is? Ah, it's next week. But you know which day is next week? No. Do you know if your wife is obligated to say Halil or not? No. Do you know anything? Oh, yeah, I know Shema Israel. Oh, okay. What else do you know? Well, I know the uh, first and last name of every baseball player that's playing in the major leagues for the last 30 years. Oh. I also know every football player that played in a lineman position, especially the guards, for the last five years. Oh. I know how much each team is spending on their kicker in the league this year. That's a new one I worked on. Oh. I know who the best forward is in the NHL. Oh. I also know how much money certain actors made in every single one of their movie without even looking it up. Huh. What else you know? Well, I know a few movies by heart. I know a few shows by heart. I know what the schedule is going to be for next year's games and even shows on certain networks. Uh, some newscasters, I know what about their life. Oh, so, so you have this memory and instead of utilizing it to actually live a life that's purposeful, to live a life that you can actually have something to live for, you are using this brain of yours literally for nothing. For nothing. Meaning that that gift that the child was given is turned into a curse. On the other hand, a person could be begin with their life with what would seem like one hand behind their back or even two but that person could develop themselves to be one of the greatest people of the generation there's a reason why the Gemara in Masechet Brachot in multiple places says that greater is the Baal Tshuva than even someone that was from their whole life why? why is greater a person that's Baal Tshuva than someone that's been from that's been religious their whole life? Now, there are multiple explanations of this. One of the explanations is that the Baal Tshuva has seen and, 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 and felt and tasted the desire and still ended up choosing Hashem as a result. Whereas the person that has been religious their whole life and righteous their whole life never tasted the, the poisonous lust. So he's not really sure what he's missing on. So he doesn't have as much desire for it. So that's certainly a good explanation. But there's even a new one. Another explanation I heard from one of the Chachamim that a Baal Tshuva can reach a level of Kedusha that the average person cannot. Even if the average person, that the uh, average uh, righteous person cannot. What is the, even a really righteous person? What is this? The level of Rabbi Akiva. Rabbi Akiva reached a level of Kedusha that even Moshe Rabbeinu did not reach. And don't get me wrong, Torah says that Moshe Rabbeinu was the prophet of all prophets and no one will ever be as great of a prophet as Moshe Rabbeinu, even Mashiach. No one ever was and no one ever will be as great of a prophet as Moshe Rabbeinu. In the level of Kedusha, level of Kedusha, Moshe Rabbeinu reached the 49th level of Kedusha. Rabbi Akiva, on the other hand, reached the 50th level. How could Rabbi Akiva reach the 50th level? 
because the 50th level, says the Gaon Mivilna, can only be reached by a Baal Tshuva. A Baal Tshuva can reach the 50th level. So, this is another reason why the Gemara says that the Baal Tshuva, the ones that have the real serious Tshuva, can reach a higher level than someone that's been from their whole life. But that doesn't mean every Baal Tshuva is that way. Certain Baal Tshuva, sometimes you wish they weren't even a Baal Tshuva, just to, because they're, they're so demented sometimes. Where they're not really Baal Tshuva, they're a Baal Tshuva in their mind. You know, they keep a couple of mitzvot, but they, you know, rationalize a million and a half more sins. I had one time this guy that uh, used to come to my shulim, he called himself a Baal Tshuva. And one of the ways that he expressed is how he's such a righteous Baal Tshuva is that he loved to speak to people and give them different uh, insights that he heard about the parasha and the, uh, you know, from different shulim. I said, okay, great, that's fantastic, it's very, very good. So why was it bad to have this guy? Because this guy didn't really abandon his old life of gambling and degeneracy. And in fact, one of the ways that he would share his so-called Torah knowledge with more people is in casinos and in all types of places that he shouldn't be in in the first place. And instead of actually being a Kiddush Hashem, where he's publicizing Hashem's name, he's actually desecrating Hashem's name because what are you doing gambling? What are you doing in this degenerate place of casino? So sometimes you have people that think of themselves as Baal Tshuva, but they're obviously as far from it as the sun is from us. So on the other hand, there are certain people that are born with certain deficiencies that end up becoming great. One of them was Rav Moshe Sheikh. Rav Moshe Sheikh, when he was younger, the entire community made fun of him and called him Rosh Dlat, Pumpkinhead. Why? Just like you open a pumpkin, there's not much in there. They said in his eye, there's nothing in there. There's nothing in there. He cried to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. He toiled and toiled in Torah. And eventually became one of the greatest generations, one of the greatest sages in history after the Khatam Sufil. He was one of the Talmudians of the Khatam Sufil. The Nitziv, the Nitziv Mivolojin, also, as a child, was known as a fool. So much so that when he was uh, younger, he overheard his parents speaking about him. He said, listen, he doesn't have it. He's not going to be a scholar or, or, or even a, someone to tell me. He's just he's missing something. He's just not there. It's better that we just take him out of the yeshiva, spare ourselves the expense, spare him the agony, and just send him to be a laborer. He has a good heart. He could do good things. Why waste all this time sending him to learn Torah? wasn't getting good grades he wasn't understanding things he didn't understand he was clueless why waste a kid his 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 life learning all this stuff when he's not understanding anyway the one thing his parents didn't know is that despite the fact that he didn't understand much and he didn't know much of torah 
He loved the Torah. And as soon as he heard this, he went to his parents and he literally begged them to give him one more chance. Give me a little more time. Let me learn more Torah. I don't want to leave it. Please, give me a chance. I don't want to be a laborer. I want to be a Torah scholar. I want to be a Talmit Chacham. As far as that is from what the current reality is, no one could possibly imagine him becoming one of the, even, forget about one of the Gedolei Adol. No one even could possibly imagine seeing this kid becoming an Avrech that learns all day. And that's exactly what happened. He became one of the Gedolei Adol. became one of the giants of the generation. Everyone knows the story of the Rambam. The Rambam, Maimonides, when he was a young boy, his brothers, his older brothers from a different mother, used to make fun of him. They used to call him the butcher's kid. Because his mother wasn't the same mother they had. His mother was the granddaughter of a butcher. Whereas their mother came from a rabbinical family. He says, ah, so it's, the reason why you're stupid is because you came from a butcher. That's why. And he didn't know much. But the Rambam prayed to HaKadosh Baruch Hu and did not let go. And he continued and continued and continued learning as much as he possibly can until HaKadosh Baruch Hu opened up his mind and made him the greatest of the generation. Moshe Ad Moshe lo Moshe from Moshe Ad Moshe from Moses, you know, from Mount Sinai that took us out of Egypt that got the Torah the prophet of all prophets until Moshe ben Maimon until the Rambam there was nobody like Moshe there was nobody like Moshe but this was a kid that literally was made fun of in public nobody cared why? they didn't think of him that he's never going to be anything now does anybody know the names of the brothers of the Rambam today? no why? because they themselves materialized to nothing even though they did get great abilities great yichus, great tools they didn't develop them they were forgotten forgotten like a distant memory now the pre-megadim also says that if a person wants to be a talmid chacham they have to use whatever gift they have they have to use their gift whatever they have and he once had a, a uh, Talmud of his ask him, how do I become a Talmud Chacham with my abilities? He says, you have to learn a lot of Torah and you have to shy away from attention. How do you do it? He says, wherever you go, you move to, Go learn. When people come to you, they see, they, you know, same guys in the shul and in Bet Midrash all the time. People see that. They tend to come and, you know, say, ask questions. Do you know this? Do you know that? Maybe you can meet with me. Maybe you can study with me. You're not going to become a Gadol uh, Torah that way. You have to learn. So how do you get them to off your back? Very simple. Act like as if you don't understand the question. Act like you don't understand the question. Why? Because they already have a rabbi in the community, wherever you're moving. So these people can get the answer that they need somewhere else. They don't need to get it from you. They're just interested because you're the new face. So what do you do? 
Act like you don't understand. So when they come to you and say, listen, I heard in the Gemara, in a Masechet uh, Sota, it says that uh, the process of the Sota is that because she's a wayward woman, she's suspected of cheating on her husband, they would have to take her through the whole process before they make her drink the waters. And part of the process was removing her Kisuyosh. But that was after they've already ripped her shirt. Does that make sense that that would be after? What do you answer to such a thing? Oh, there's such a Gemara? Like that? You sure? That's how it says? Yeah, yeah, it's right here. It's right here, and I show you the question. Wow. So what was the question again? So as soon as they start seeing that you're confused even, what they're saying, it's like, oh, this guy, what a waste of time. So the Prima Gadim says, that's what you get to be left alone. Go learn, 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 learn. Eventually, you could teach. But for now, focus on learning. Meaning, use this ability that you have of not being overly sensitive to the surroundings by being cold to people in such a fashion where they'll leave you alone. They'll leave you alone. Now, one of the things that people sometimes are born with and sometimes they develop that can destroy blessings in their life and in fact could destroy life altogether is yearning for attention now this is unfortunately common among everybody to a certain extent but it's more common among women where they're yearning for attention and a woman, religious woman, once asked me, why is it that even though I'm religious, I'm married, I love my husband, everything is good, I'm still very concerned about other men finding me attractive. Why is it that that happens? Now the answer is, Rabotai, it may shock you. And the reason why is because the average person doesn't look at it that way. The average person says, oh, maybe she wants attention, but that's not true. Why? Because she just said she loves her husband, everything is good. Meaning she's not lacking attention or attraction or love from her loved one. But still she wants attention from another guy or any guy without any commitment, without any inter, you know, actual uh, uh, relationship with that person, but it's important for her that every man finds her attractive. This is the same concept of men, that sometimes they attain a certain level of success, whether it's success in a scholarship or success in money, they want, even if they're married with kids and everything, they want their peers, their customers, their environment to know who they are. And they like to say, do you know who you're talking to? You heard of my work? You heard of what I do? It's important for them, for people to recognize who and what they are. 
Where does this come from? Now, the source of the source is arrogance. But there's different types of arrogance. And the truth is that this solution, just by seeing its arrogance, is not going to be sufficient. Why? Because a person doesn't know how to deal with it. So you have to give them a practical solution. And this is what Ephraim taught me. He says, when the woman gets some type of pleasure, whether it's, you know, mental pleasure that her customer or her co-worker or even the clerk at some uh, supermarket finds her beautiful, finds her attractive, what she has to realize at that moment is nothing pleasurable, but quite the opposite. Why? Because he's not finding you attractive like you think. He is finding you attractive in the same way that one monkey is attracted to another monkey. He finds you attractive in the same way that the bull finds the cow attractive. That's how he finds you attractive. He doesn't find your personality attractive, your intuition attractive, your desires in life and ideas attractive. No, no, no. He is like a bull that sees a cow and he's attracted to that cow for one and only need. A physical need. Now, if that need means insulting you, making fun of you, lying to you, doing all types of shameful things to you, cares less. Why? Because that's what he's attracted to. He's attracted to a cow. He's not attracted to you. He's a bull attracted to a cow. One chimpanzee attracted to another chimpanzee. He's not attracted to the chimpanzee's theology, ideology, or even opinion. And quite frankly, if you simply stayed quiet and wouldn't talk, that would make you perfect. Because he is not attracted to you. He is a bull attracted to a cow that's another physical body. That's what he's attracted to you. So if a woman understood that every time her customer, her colleague, or anybody else out there is attracted to her, they should know they're attracted to a cow. And if you want to be a cow, or a chimpanzee, or perhaps even a donkey, play along and enjoy. But if you're not a cow, and you don't want to be a horse, and certainly you don't view yourself as a monkey, then understand is clear. Any attraction that you get from someone who doesn't know you and doesn't love you and is not willing to commit his entire life to you is no attraction like you think attraction. It's simply lust. Lust that's 100% the same as one bull to the cow. And if you're not a cow, then why are you enjoying what the cow gets?
Why do you want to have the same affection that the cow gets? You see, if a person understood the level of shame that this type of attraction really is, they would never desire it. In fact, they would be disgusted by it. They would be disgusted that any man views them in such a fashion. Why? I don't want you to think of me as some piece of meat that you just want to treat like a piece of garbage that you care less about what I talk about and what I say and what I think and what I want or even whether I'm alive or dead next week. I don't want to be viewed that way. Go view somebody else that way, not me. The same concept with the successful men of scholarship or money or otherwise or even looks that want people to view them. Oh, you're accomplished. You're achieved something. You this and you that. You have to understand the way they view you is not, oh, wow, he's such an important person. I, I want to learn from him so I could, I could, I could help him. I could uh, you know, get him to do even more and get published. No, no, no. What they want is what you have. No different than a blood-sucking leech that if it could simply take the blood without having to suck it out of the body, it would simply do it. If they could simply take your job, your money, and every single thing that you've ever done could simply become theirs and you would disappear into some sewer, they would be perfectly happy with you. They don't care about your personality and what you have achieved or what you want to achieve. They simply want what you have. So when you're constantly looking for people to recognize you, admire you, see you, all you're doing is inviting people to want to suck your blood, to want to express their jealousy, to want to simply kill you, not help you. So if a person understands that you are given tools, those tools can build you or destroy you. If you use them the right way, you can create an extraordinary family with extraordinary children and extraordinary marriage. If you don't, not only will the kids be problems, headaches, nightmare, but you yourself will be a basket case, like a beggar looking for attention, like a beggar that's looking for money, you'd be looking for somebody to recognize either your physical looks or your financial accounts or something else that's not even yours to admire because God's the one that gave it to you. The Ramban is giving us insights, insights to produce good into the world. Those insights are not just good ideas. They're literally the instructions for real success. Bezat Hashem, 
we're going to take them into account. Think twice about where we stand, where we want to be, and what we need to change in order to get there. And Be'ezat Hashem, be holy. Thank you again for learning with me. Be'ezat Hashem, tomorrow night we'll have our weekly shiur of Stump the Rabbi. We're after some Divrei Torah. You guys will ask as many questions as you want. And Be'ezat Hashem will do our best to have the merit to have Hashem give us the answers and we can learn together. Thank you for learning with me. May Hashem bless each and every single one of you. Koltuf.